You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Have you ever had someone or something intervene that changed the course of your day, your week, your year, or even your life? My sense is that all of us have probably had those moments where everything is just going along. And sometimes, in just an instant, something happens that then forever changes the course of your life. I can think back throughout my life and to see the different ways in which God has intervened literally to save my life. I think about the different things that have happened. I should not be here this morning if it were not for God intervening. I think about accidents that I have been in. I think about where I have jumped into two feet deep pools and cracked open my head. I think about how I've dug holes and hit gas mains and electrical mains to the point where you would be thinking, Aaron, I don't think you should be digging holes anytime soon. I'm going to be sharing with you some of those stories, but when I think back in my life, I can tell you there have been many times when God has literally intervened in order to save my very life. I've shared parts of this story with you before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, uh, a number of years ago when I was in high school or college, can't remember quite when, I was working for my dad. My dad was a barber, so I wasn't doing that, as you can tell, but he did have another business. He had a mailbox business, this custom cedar mailbox business where he and a number of different people would make these mailboxes. They would be uh, sent out to different stores. I would often deliver them and then would go and do different installations around the Chicagoland area. So on any particular day, I would probably have anywhere between four and seven installations that I would go around the Chicagoland area and I would have to dig holes. So I would dig these holes probably about three feet deep. I'm telling you, I got really good with a pair of post hole diggers. You gave me a post hole digger and a 40-pound Johnny Pry bar, and I'd be at work in no time flat. I'd have those holes dug, depending on how hard the dirt was. We also had a gas-powered auger. Uh, we would sometimes use that auger depending on the type of soil that we might be digging in, particular subdivisions that we might be in, that it was just really hard clay, or would there be a particular lot of rocks. But normally, by the time I would get the auger out, get it all put together, get it started, I could have the hole probably about third of the way dug, maybe halfway dug. On this particular day, though, I was in a new subdivision, and I knew that it was a particularly difficult soil to work with. And so while I was there, I thought, you know what, I'm going to use the gas-powered auger this time. So we had gotten it out, got it started, and I go and I start to dig this hole. I had to pull it out a couple times, get some of the rocks out of there. Well, when I get to the very bottom of the hole, when I pull the auger out, I look down, and there are two wires sticking in on either side. Now, you have to understand, this is not necessarily out of the ordinary. In a lot of these new subdivisions around Chicago, here's what they love to do. They love to take away all the topsoil, and then they build these houses And then they take all the leftover junk that was there and just pretty much grade it into the property, and then they sell the topsoil back to you. (laughs) So anyway, so we've come across all kinds of things. Spare wires, uh, come across things like shoes, guns, even we found in holes. I mean, it's just crazy, the kind of stuff. So I'm looking around, and I'm thinking to myself, 
well, it's probably just some of the garbage that's there. Now, before you go thinking that I am a complete idiot, you have to understand we had also called the utility locating company. There was no markings anywhere around, so I would have looked up and down and thought to myself, I'm in the clear. But like an idiot, I still reach down into that hole and I grab both wires, just trying to pull them out of the way. About a minute later, the lady of the house comes out and she says, I have no power. What have you done? And I think to myself, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I don't know. And, and she's like, I have a party in a little bit. And I'm trying to cook, and now I don't have any power. So now she's mad. I'm apologizing profusely for what's happened. Within five minutes, a ComEd truck pulls up. And they said, we could see where you were, and we knew immediately what had happened. The transformer down the street had blown. He said, as they started to fix it, you have no idea how lucky you are. They said that auger functioned as a ground and it ground out and blew the transformer down the street. But they're like, you did what? You reached down into this hole? I mean, they're pretty much saying, you idiot, right? Here's the thing. The utility locating service failed to mark. There were two mains on that street. And they looked at the survey, marked and found the one, and walked away. So I look back at that, and I see the way in which God literally intervened in order to save my life. And my guess is that for many of you, you could probably look at your lives and see the way in which God intervened to either save your life, or to maybe change the course of your life. We can see the way, as we look at the world around us, where God can often intervene in order to put us on a new path, in order to change our direction. Many of us could probably say, God, if it were not for you directly intervening in my life, I don't know if I would be here right now. And my sense, as we look at this new sermon series together, is that we are going to see the way in which God intervened to change someone's life, to move them in a new direction. And to help us with that, we are going to be using the story of Jonah. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to pray that as we read this story and study it together over the course of the next four weeks, that God is going to give us a fresh set of eyes. Because here's what most of us think. I know this story, right? I understand, right? God tells Jonah to go to preach to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to do it, so he heads in the opposite direction. God makes a storm come up. They throw Jonah overboard. He gets swallowed up by a fish, gets spit out on dry land, and then he goes and pre preaches to the people of Nineveh. So most of us think that we know this story. But do you want to know what? This story is not about Jonah. This story is about God. And what we're going to be discovering together is how God is on the move to intervene in our lives, to change the direction of our lives when maybe it's headed in a direction where we should not be going, and how God is sovereignly seeking to move us back into a relationship with him. 
And so as we study this story of Jonah together, I want to give you just a little bit of background so you understand the context of what it is that we're going to be reading together. One of the things that you have to keep in mind is that the story of Jonah takes place written around 755 BC. It is a time when the people of Israel were financially and politically prosperous, but spiritually bankrupt. By the way, does that sound very contemporary? For today's day and age, the more prosperous we become, the smarter we think we are, the less we think we need God. And yet God continually shows us his grace, shows us his mercy, and God's desiring to intervene on behalf of Jonah is a picture of what God wants to do to intervene in our lives. What God does to intervene for the people of Nineveh is what God desires to do for us and for this world. God intervening on behalf of the sailors a picture, again, of what God desires to do. God is a God of second chances. And so if you've brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up. We're going to be studying together Jonah chapter 1 this morning. And as well, if you want to take out your sermon notes, you want to follow along, uh, we certainly want to invite you to do that as well. Here's the first thing that we see. God's intervention extends beyond our perception. God's intervention extends beyond our perception. Notice, by the way, what verses 1 and 2 say. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. I want to stop right there. One of the things that you may or may not know about me is the fact that I love Old Testament names. You're probably like, well, it makes sense. I look at your, four, your three sons, and they're all named after Old Testament people. And if you were here last week and you heard me unpacking the story of Ruth and the meanings of all their names, it is fascinating. And the thing about Old Testament names that I'm always thinking about is, did God, like, somehow inspire these parents to name their children these things knowing that they were going to live into their names or did these people somehow choose to live into the names that they were given the reason i say that is the name jonah means dove or messenger and so if you think about what a dove does a dove is a messenger so this is jonah's name messenger and his father's name, Amittai, means truth. So literally, he is the son messenger of truth. So here you have this man, and his job was to be a messenger of truth. This was his job. His job was to go and speak God's truth to the people to whom God was telling him to go. And what we know is that Jonah was a messenger of truth to the people of Israel. But here's what I want us to keep in mind. God's, what, intervention extends beyond our perception. Remember, God's call initially was on Jonah to go and be a messenger of truth to the people of Israel. The people who looked like him, who talked like him, who acted like him. But then God says, I want you to go 
and to preach my truth to a people who are far away, who don't look like you or talk like you or act like you. I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. Now let's think about this. If your boss says to you, I want you to go to London, or I want you to go to Paris, or I want you to go to Tokyo, right? For you, that may be like, you know what? That doesn't sound like such a bad assignment. I don't know if I would mind going to places like that. You get to see another culture. You get to enjoy this trip. But you have to understand, being told to go to Nineveh, very different than being told to go to London or Paris or Spain. Nineveh was the center of the Assyrian people. The Assyrian people were a brutal and nasty people. When they would invade another nation, when they would invade another territory, they would often impale people on sticks. And they would put them throughout the city to say, don't you mess with us. There have been graves that have been dug up with engravings of Assyrian people with the skulls of other nations hanging around their necks. So like, when God is telling him to go to a place like Nineveh, you can imagine this is not a place like London or Paris. This is more like Kabul. This is more like Afghanistan. Right? This is more like Syria. And Jonah is thinking to himself, God, do you know what kind of people those are? Like, you want me to go and be a messenger of truth to those people? Like, God, come on. They don't deserve a second chance. So what does this messenger of truth do? Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I want you to grasp this. Isn't it amazing that a prophet of God, a messenger of truth, missed out on God's heart for the nations. Now before we get any farther in this, we, we, need, we need to pause. How often do we do the same things? You know, we have a tendency to think to ourselves, we have a perception of the people who God should and shouldn't save. And it usually comes from this perspective. God, I want you to save me, but I don't, I don't necessarily want you to save, quote-unquote, those people. Or those people who may be considered particularly evil or particularly bad. When we say, y'all need Jesus, we say it in a way that is more like, well, I want Jesus for myself. But I'm not so sure I really want to consider you a brother or sister in Christ. We have a tendency to look at this through our own lens. We always want God to intervene on our behalf. But we don't necessarily want God to intervene for those people who don't look like us or talk like us or act like us. But beloved people, you have to understand, when God called Jonah to go and to preach a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, it was a repentance that the people of Israel needed to hear. Who do you think this story was for? It wasn't circulating amongst the Ninevites. This is a story for the people of Israel, and it's a story for us. 
See, how many of us wag our finger at someone like Jonah? But you look at his context and you wonder, well, can you really blame him? See, if God called you to go and preach a message of repentance to ISIS militants who are beheading Americans, to Vladimir Putin, to Donald Trump, to Joe Biden, many of us would say, "Mm mm-mm, I don't think so. I don't know if they truly deserve your goodness and your grace. God, they don't deserve your forgiveness. The point is the Jonah teaches us that God can save whoever God desires to save. And by the way, we see this in Romans. In Romans chapter 9, 14 and 15, when we see about God's sovereign choice and Paul unpacking this, what does it say? What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion And this isn't something that the people of Nineveh just needed to hear. This is something that Jonah needed to hear, and it's something that you and I need to hear. We cannot tell God who he can and cannot save. We cannot tell God that we will not go to a place and preach if God has called us to go, even if we don't think they deserve it. If God says to go, and we are called to go, In John Calvin's commentary on the book of Jonah, he said this, True wisdom is this, to submit ourselves wholly to the wisdom of God. To submit ourselves. But by the way, what does Jonah do? Jonah heads in the opposite direction. By the way, Tarshish is three times farther away than Nineveh is from where Jonah is at this moment. Jonah is saying, I'm not just running away. I'm running away as far as I possibly can. But here's the truth. You can't outrun God. The psalmist says this, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, no matter how hard you try, no matter how far you run, you cannot stop when God desires to intervene in your life. And that leads to the second thing I want you to see this morning. God can intervene even when we're on the run. When you are running from God, God seeks to intervene. By the way, why does Jonah run? We get a sense of it in chapter 4, and we'll cover it there, but there's any number of reasons, right? One of them is Jonah could be afraid. Hey, those Assyrians, if I go and preach to them, they're going to kill me. Like, so I don't want to go. I I don't want to do that. 
I mean, maybe for Jonah, he's like, the people of Nineveh are a lost cause. Like, God, there's no way that they're ever going to turn their hearts back to you. Maybe Jonah thought, I don't know, God, this message of repentance, that seems too harsh to me. Like, wouldn't it just be better if I told them about the prosperity gospel? You know, if I just said, God just loves you, you know, and he wants what's best for you. Like, wouldn't that be the thing that returns the most people back to you, God? God, I think I'd just rather preach a message of happiness to the people. Maybe that will turn them. Whatever the case, whatever the excuse, you see, Jonah is on the run. By the way, how many of us do the same thing? Some of us are maybe on the run, and we are deliberately on the run. God has something that he wants to do in your life, and you're saying, no, I don't want that, and you're going to head in a different direction. Some of you, it may be a slow drip, where it's just like slowly kind of moving away from God, and you don't even necessarily know it. But we all can sense that. And yet we can also see the way in which God intervenes in our lives. And sometimes God can use our own poor, stupid decisions to intervene and to get us back on track. By the way, notice, what do verses 4 to 6 say? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. You know, have you ever walked down a path that is so clearly the way in which God doesn't want you to go and suddenly you have a health issue crop up or you have something happen in your family life? Or there's something that happens in your job. That's not to say that God is causing these bad things to happen to you. But God does use them to get our attention. You might be in a storm right now, and you need to be asking, Lord, are you using this storm to try to get my attention? And to try to get me back on track. Do you want to know why it's important? What was Jonah doing in the middle of the storm? He was asleep. And I don't want you to be asleep if your ship is sinking. And God is trying to get your attention. That's the dangerous thing. I don't want you to miss out. On God saying to you, I want you to get back on track in your relationship with me. And so whatever the storm is that you're going through, ask God, God, are you using this 
to somehow get my attention. And that's not to say that everything bad that happens is God trying to get your attention, but it's good for you to pause and for you to ask that. Because if you're asleep and you're on the run, you're going to be in trouble. And by the way, I want you to understand this. When you're asleep and you're in trouble, not only does that put you at danger, not only does that put your relationship with God in danger, but notice it potentially puts the people that are around you in danger as well. Notice what verses 7 to 11 say. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, from what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Do you see what's happening here? Jonah is on the run from God, and it ends up putting everyone else in danger. Jonah goes down to the docks. He buys a ticket. He must tell them while he's there, this is why I'm here to try to get away from God. And you have these sailors who are so scared at the storm that they start throwing their cargo overboard. Now think about this. These men are traders. This is how they make their living. They either take their goods, they move them to another place, and they sell them there, or they have been given these goods by someone else to transport them somewhere else and to sell them on behalf of someone else. Now what happens? A storm comes up, and they start throwing all of their cargo overboard. There is no insurance for this. So they have lost out financially and they have caused the people who have entrusted them with these things to lose out as well. So don't you think that the next time they get to port, the word is going to start to get around. Don't use those guys. Because the second storm comes up, they throw your stuff overboard. Right? And you have a bunch of seasoned sailors who are used to seeing these kinds of things, yet they are so terrified that they feel like their lives are at risk. And so they start throwing their things overboard. And so what do they do? They go down to Jonah and they say, Jonah, what have you done? And you can imagine as Jonah is sharing with them his story, they're, they're pulling their hair out, right? Like, like the story of digging a hole and reaching down. They're like, you idiot! Like, what have you done to us? You're putting our lives at risk. Why would you bring this calamity upon us? And so the question comes up, what do we do about it? What should we do? Notice what Jonah says, verses 12 to 14. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault for this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, 
Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. You know, you ever stop to think about Jonah's reaction to God pursuing him in this moment? What does Jonah reply? Throw me overboard. You know, my guess is most of us probably grew up and maybe heard this story and thought, you know, Jonah did a heroic thing here. You know, he's like, throw me overboard and the storm will be calm and like your lives will be saved. So most of us have a tendency to think that, that somehow Jonah is trying to say, well, it's like, give my life up and I'll drown and, and this way God will save you. But did you ever stop to think, would God have not stopped the storm if Jonah had simply repented? And he finally said, you know what, Lord, you're right. It's my fault. God, I repent. I'm sorry. In this moment, I will go back to Nineveh. I will go and I will preach. Don't you think if, if Jonah would have said that in the moment that God would have calmed the storm? I want you to think about what's probably happening here. Jonah is saying, I would rather die than go and preach to those people. Right? I mean, what Jonah is saying is say, God, instead of experiencing your grace in this moment, instead of seeing the way you want to intervene, and I'm going to turn my life around, Jonah is saying, I would rather drown. I want to talk about a five-finger salute to God, right? I mean, not the hero of the story that you might think. But here's the amazing thing. Do you know who did get it? A bunch of pagan sailors. A bunch of idol worshipers. These guys get God's grace. They're trying to save Jonah. They're trying to row harder and harder to get to shore. They're like, we don't want to kill this man because he's a prophet of God. And if we kill this guy, God is going to have it out for us. Right? So they're doing their best to try to row to shore, but it doesn't work. And so what do they do? They cry out to God. Now, here's the, what you have to see. In the original language, the Hebrew, you kind of miss out on this in the English. It says that they cry out to the yod heh vah They cry out to Yahweh, to the God of Jonah. And they're saying, God, you are God. And we are going to cry out to you in this moment. And they say, God, would you save us? Think about this. A man whose name means messenger of truth missed out on the truth of God's grace at the very moment when these pagan sailors are receiving God's grace. It's God's intervention that's beyond our perception and it's God's intervention when we are on the run. And how often does God seek to get a hold of us when we are on the run? And that leads to this last point, that even when we're on the run, God's intervention is always a picture of his grace. It's always a picture of God's grace. You know, at any point, God could have said, 
Jonah, just drown already. I got plenty of other prophets in Israel. <laughs> like, you go, you do your thing. But notice, that was not God's intention because God is a God of grace. The psalmist was right. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. The story of Jonah is a story of God's grace. It is a story of God's intervention even when we are on the run. And when we hear that, we should reflect and we should ask, in what ways am I running from God? There may be deliberate things that are happening in your life right now that are causing you to run, or there may just be that slow drip that's causing you to slowly walk away in that relationship. But God's desire is to wake you up in the midst of the storm. Beloved people, wake up. God is trying to get a hold of you today. Do not run. Return. Because that is God's desire to get you back on track with him. And notice what verses 15 to 16 say. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. See, if a bunch of sailors who were living apart from God can come to the place where they experience God's grace and offer to him a sacrifice of praise, then it's not too late for any one of us. And by the way, verse 17 is another picture of God's grace when we are on the run. But in the Hebrew, verse 17 is actually the first part of chapter 2. So we'll use that as the bridge to take us to next week. But I want you to see that if God is desiring to intervene on behalf of Jonah, he desires to intervene for someone like you and for me. If you are in a place where you are on the run from God, because if you are in a place where you're like, God, I'm just running away from you, I want you to see how God desires to intervene and how he has intervened in the person of Jesus Christ. You are not too far. You are not too broken. You are not too dirty or messed up to be loved by God. There is nothing that could ever separate you from God's love where God would say, I don't want someone like you. God desires to intervene in your life, and he has done so in Jesus Christ, but we need to receive that, and we need to turn. And if you're in a place this morning where you have followed after God, but you are now seeing where you have been drifting away, the great news is that you do not have to run. You cannot outrun God, and it's never 
too late if God is seeking to get your attention to return to him. Probably all of us could look at our lives and see those moments when we have been on the run, but God has shown us his grace. And we see the ultimate picture of that grace when we have been on the run from God and he sends his son Jesus Christ into the world. We were on the run, but Jesus Christ is the picture of God's grace when that we were lost in sin. None of us deserve to have God intervene on our behalf. God could have left us to our own devices. He could have said, that's fine, you do whatever you want, you can live in your sin. But he didn't do that, he sent Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want you to understand that if you feel like you are on the run, if God is trying to get you back on track, it's never too late to see God desiring to intervene in your life and to turn your life back to him. If you've been on the run and you have never said, I want to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to return, I want you to see that that is what is available to you this morning. And if there's something in your life where you've just felt like you are drifting, God is here and he wants to intervene. And, and maybe this message is God speaking and intervening in your life to say, I want you to be, I want you to get back on track with me. And so, as we close this morning, I want to give you an opportunity just to reflect and to pause and to pray. And so, as I pray and as I lead us through some of these different things, I just want you to reflect on where are you as you search the heart and mind of Christ, as you search your own heart, where, where are you in this relationship with God? I'm just going to give you a, a moment as I ask you to pause and to pray with me, just to say, Lord, what part of my life needs to get back on track? What part of my life needs to return to you? Where, where are you trying to intervene in my spiritual life, in my, in my family life, in my, in my work life? Whatever that is, would you just pray with me and say, God, are, are you seeking to intervene? Because if, if there's a moment here where you need to wake up, I'm praying that God is waking you up this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, one of the things that we recognize is the way in which you desire to intervene. And God, sometimes your intervention is beyond our perception. And maybe, Lord, there are those moments in our lives where we see the things that are happening around us and we, maybe, Lord, in our selfishness, we have said, Lord, I want you to save me, but God, I don't want you to save the people that don't look like me or the people that I think don't deserve it. God, would you forgive us? And Lord, even not right now, if, there's, if there are things in our heart that we need to confess to you and say, Lord, I, I know I've tried to withhold your grace from someone else, would you, would you reveal that to us in this moment? God, maybe there are things that are happening in our lives where we need to see them differently. More than just the random things that happen, 
Lord, is there something happening in our lives right now where you're trying to intervene to get us back on track? And Lord, maybe in these moments, we're, we're going to think about something that's happening in our health or in our family or, Lord, the things that are happening at our job or I, whatever that is, God. And, and maybe you're saying, I, I want to intervene because there's some things that you need to do differently. And you've been living for yourself, but now I want you to live for me. Maybe, maybe there's something here where, God, we need to rest and we need to listen and we need to wake up. And so, God, if we're asleep, would you speak to us right now and would you wake us up? Maybe, God, that waking us up is either bringing us to a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time or, Lord, where we have been slowly drifting in our faith where, Lord, you are helping us to return to that faith and that joy that we once experienced in Christ. God, would you help us to see how you have sought to intervene for us and our brokenness through Jesus. And God, would this be a moment of returning? God, now what we pray is that we would see how indeed we are not simply our own, but that we belong to you. And God, if we belong to you, then God, you are going to work these things as we've been studying in the weeks before. You're going to work these things for our good and for your glory. And so God, we would pray that even in the midst of the storm, how God, we would see your hand powerfully at work in our lives so that, Lord, we wouldn't be running from you, but instead, Lord, we would be running towards you with the grace and the peace, and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.